We're continuing our series on our 10 core values to the core. And this weekend we're talking about uh, becoming Christ-like. So as we talk about the core, our, our core values, our team put together an acronym because there are 10 values. That's a lot of values. And the acronym is Core Fabric. And uh, there's a display down the hallway that kind of itemizes that. Uh, I'm going to say the letter and the word, and then I'll ask you to repeat it to kind of begin to drill it in. So the C stands for community. Oh, we had to kind of rework it because the, it's maximizing our potential. So we said our potential maximized. The R is relevance. The E is excellence in ministry. And then you talk about fabric. The F is faith. Last week we talked about authenticity. And this week the B is becoming Christ-like. And each week we put the value up on the screen. I'm going to ask you to read it with enthusiasm. Or should you just stand and read it? You want to to stay seated? Okay. You got to bring the heat. All right. Let's do it. Spiritual growth. As we cultivate. And Christian character. And influence others. Notice that becoming Christ-like is about me honoring God. It's about focusing on my life, and as such, it influences other people. It's not telling you what you should do and not do, but it's, it's a matter of looking at who God wants me to be and Christ being magnified in me. If you have the CLC app, you can follow along on the message, and there's lots of reasons to have that app. Uh, the first thought is that this value is directly related to our CLC mission. Uh, we have a fourfold mission. If you're new, uh, we'll just go through it for you. If you just repeat after me, to know God. To be his people, to value others, and change our world. Those are somewhat cumulative. The most important thing in life is to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, to know God. And if you haven't made that decision yet, today is the day of salvation. The Bible says, make that decision. Decide to follow Christ. Stop by our welcome center. Let them know that afterwards they'll pray with you. They'll give you helpful information to make that uh, your, your next steps. Uh, and then once you know someone, they have an impact on you. People that are into motivational speaking will tell you, pick the, the five people you spend the most time with in your life. They're pretty much going to determine your elevation and what you do and where you can go in life just because of their influence on you. And so to know God, then to be his people, he has expectations of what our relationship is supposed to accomplish in me and through me. And then to know God and be his people, the Apostle John says, if you know God and don't love other people, you don't know God. That's how much know God, be his people. So, so then we value others. And then finally, when we know God, we be his people, we value others, we change our world. And so that's kind of our mission together. And uh, I have found that so many of our values, it's not a matter of, well, they do that. No, I do that. And then collectively, we do that. That's our foundation. And then we can make that difference. And so really, it's a, it's a together kind of thing. Uh, we need us. And uh, you look at community, that's an us kind of thing. Last week, authenticity, I made this statement, I, I can't be authentic with other people in my life. Likewise, becoming Christ-like is not a solo endeavor. Uh, if you say, make the statement, me and God is enough, that's not biblically correct. There are lots of things God will do in you this way, but there are some things God refuses to do this way, he will do it this way as well through someone else because he wants us to learn to need each other and to grow together. So I want you, first of all, uh, just to go ahead and look around at four or five people just, and just mouth the words to them, we need each other. Go on. 
Tell these folks over here that are visiting with baby dedications. We'll put them on the spot. We need each other. We're glad you're here. Congratulations. All right, and uh, because it's something that we do together, some of you are going to leave here going, you know what, I need to dig in a little deeper. I need to take this more seriously. And so one of the ways we become, we become Christ-like, two of them are serving together and learning together. And uh, Mary and Phil put a brief video together, an invitation to you to stop by the Welcome Center afterwards. Uh, watch this. Hi, my name is Mary Thomas, and I am over the learning and development groups here at Christian Life Center. And I'm Philip Elmore, and I'm over Men's Life, as well as the interest groups and the life groups. And so, real quickly this weekend, you know, pastors talking about becoming more Christ-like. And here at CLC, we have a lot of opportunities to help you become more Christ-like. And Mary's going to tell you a little bit more about those. Yeah, the many opportunities that we have are for young adults, for singles, uh, for married couples. Um, if you're interested in Old or New Testament, it's just so many classes that we have on your spiritual journey that are there for you to grow in Christ. You mentioned journey, spiritual journey. Yeah. Uh, Proverbs chapter 27 talks about how iron sharpens iron mm. and how another man sharpens another man. And that is so critically important that you get connected, not just to church on a weekend service, but in a small group, because there you're going to build relationships mm -hmm. and you're going to start opening up. And, and then and that's going to give you that opportunity to start sharpening each other. And that's going to help you become more Christ-like. Yeah. And your, your prayer life will grow. Um, your uh, communication with others will grow and that seeing those people come together in uh, the classes that I've taught the relationships that develop are awesome and if you just need a relationship come to our classes real quickly before we get out of here listen stop by the welcome center Mary and I will be here if you're not connected to a group we'll show you how to get connected to a group and we will welcome you to take that big part of becoming Christ-like So I encourage you to that. And two of the ways I found that I grow the most is by serving together and growing together. And it was kind of neat. When you think about small groups, be creative in that. Yesterday I got a couple of text messages. One of them was from our fitness group. Uh, they get together, have a brief devotional, and then they do something for physical fitness, take care of their body. I think they went on a hike yesterday and I think they even stopped for breakfast. So it doesn't get much better than that, right? Uh, and then I got a text from our Next Gen Ministries uh, and a bunch of our kids, elementary age kids, and some of their parents and some of our volunteers went to Victory Project and did a work project yesterday. So it's kind of cool that they're serving together, growing together, Speaking of VP, uh, we're so thrilled to partner with them. And if you're like, wow, what a great organization, what a great ministry. If you want to learn more about that, uh, Monty will be in the West Auditorium after service at a luncheon, uh, sharing more of what the vision is. If you'd like a free lunch and uh, hear the vision, uh, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. 20 of you can do that, okay? They have Because like, we, we order extra and they say, we've got about 20 extra. So the first 20, go to the West Auditorium, tell them I sent you. <laughs> and so anyways, uh, but join us for that. But serving together and learning together shapes us. And God uses other people to shape us to be more like Christ. Other Christians can help build your faith. They can sharpen you and they can smooth out your rough edges. How many of you still got some rough edges? All right. How many like, could use a little more patience still? Boy, you know what God's going to do? He's going to put difficult people in your life to help you learn more patience. I know he's done that for me. 
And, uh, you know, throughout the years, 44 years in full-time ministry, um, I've been around lots of Christians, and they have smoothed my rough edges. They've also sharpened me. I've had people say, come on, you can do this, and, and kind of toughen it up. You, you can make the climb. And I need that iron sharpening. Uh, I've also had other Christians inspire me when I need it the most. I remember when we were building this building. It's a huge endeavor. And uh, it was going to cost $9 million. And we were going to raise half of it, four and a half. And we were going to uh, borrow four and a half. And then our, our, we did the calculations that we're going to be debt-free. We'll pay it off in five years, which we did. We've been debt-free for, I don't know, all but five or seven years of my tenure as lead pastor. And so you think... It allows us to do things like support people like VP and whatnot. So thank you. Um, but I remember we had these, these vision casting, we called them next desserts. Anybody go to, remember the next desserts, all right, down in the gym, okay? And I'm casting up a vision, all this kind of stuff, and, and really trying to motivate people. And at the same time, when you're a leader and you do something like that, you're casting vision and there's a plan and you're confident and there's this little, what if it doesn't work? You know, I hope they're with me kind of thing. And uh, Ted and Crystal Boykin came up to me after one of those desserts. And I never told them personally, so I hope they're, they're either here or watching the message today. But they put their money where their mouth is and Crystal came up and all she said, because I'm like kind of anxious, like is that, is that vision you know, going to take? And she said, Pastor, let's do this. I was like, yeah, let's do this. So we can inspire each other. We can encourage each other. We can comfort each other. We can help grow each other. It's, it's an us kind of thing that we do together. The second thought is that we want to, I want to revisit a thought from last week on becoming the genuine replica. Remember the, the photograph I showed from that watch shop in Turkey, genuine fake watches? And I suggested that maybe they didn't mean to say fake, they meant to say genuine replicas, because a replica, replica is a painstaking duplication of an original. That's what I want to be. I want to be a painstaking duplication of Jesus. I want to revisit a verse from last week, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Paul calls us to that. Therefore, be imitators, be painstaking duplications of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering and a sacrifice to God is a fragrant aroma. But, and then he is, Paul does not mince words. He is hard hitting. But immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness and foolish talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. And then he says, for this you know with certainty. Here he is again that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Bam, right between the eyes. And when we look at the New Testament, the words of Christ, the words of Paul, we realize behavior matters. Would you say that? Behavior matters. And I've... I've been in full-time ministry long enough that I've seen the pendulum kind of swing, at least in American Christianity. Um, I know I grew up, anybody grew up in what you would consider a real legalistic environment in a church, okay? Um, when you do, everything you do is a sin and you're just afraid you're going to hell like every other moment, right? And, and that loses motivation over time. And we've kind of gone from a real legalistic faith that's popular. Now we rediscovered grace and it's actually amazing grace. But now we've gotten to a place where we almost have ourselves convinced, oh, it doesn't matter what I do, amazing grace and God forgives and boom. And I've said in jest uh, over the course of my lifetime, uh, when I grew up, 
everything was a sin. And now the great thing is, nothing is. Now I'm kidding. But that there is almost an unspoken sense in American Christianity that my behavior doesn't matter. And boy, if we call that, oh, you're just being legalistic. But I, I want to kind of land in the middle there. And, and so let's, let's start with uh, kind of an internal perspective from Galatians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 22 and 23. Then we're going to back up to 19 and 21. To 21. Galatians 5, 22 says the fruit of the Spirit. These are the character qualities of Christ that I can't imitate or emulate on my own, but with the help of the Holy Spirit, I can in my, my cooperation. The fruit of the Spirit. And here's what I want to do. Um, I want you to look at these. First of all, read through these and decide if out of those nine fruit of the Spirit, if you could get more of three of them, which one would you want more of today? Like if I could just give you a dipper more, boom, all right? And then so when I read through them, you just raise your hand. I want more of that one and that one and that one, okay? So I'll give you a minute to read them, which, and you can't pick all nine, just three. All right? They're pretty amazing. Ready? Okay, raise your hand. Because let's just pretend God's watching and the Holy Spirit says, oh, you want more of that? Okay. So, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. Ooh, big one. Patience. You know the same people I do. <laughs> Kindness. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And that's internal. Unless we stay there, that that's all that matters. Let's back up to what did he say just a few verses before this? Verse 19, he gets hard-hitting again, and you, you have to conclude that behavior matters. Now the deeds of the flesh, that's what you do, are evident which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, and I have forewarned you that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Ouch. Now let me back up. First of all, this is a tall order. And I want to talk about, because how many of you will admit with me that since I've become a Christian, I may have done some of these things? So we're all going to hell? And I'll bet if you raise your hand once, you'd have to raise it that you've done it more than once. So before I give us the answer, or at least what I hope is the answer, um, I'd like you to stand with me. And I want you to high five five people and just tell them we're in this together. Go. You can have a seat. You know, sociologists could have a heyday just doing a study of what you did. Because some of you are like, you can come and slap my hand. I'm not walking anywhere. <laughs> some of you are like, slap fest. Yeah. And everything in between, right? We're in this together. I, I can't become authentic. Last week, I can't become Christ-like without your help. And you can't without mine or each other. 
And, and when I struggle in self-control, you can help hold me accountable or pray for me and encourage me. When I need more kindness or more patience, you can kind of help me temper that. See, we're, we're in this together. It's an us kind of a thing. And, and Paul encouraged us to that. And so I want to I get to the, the thought, first of all, that he says those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that word practice means a settled tendency to act in a certain way. Now, if I have a settled tendency to act in a jealous way, if I have a settled tendency to outburst of anger, if my settled tendency is to be divisive in where, wherever I'm at, if my settled tendency is drunkenness and carousing, and it, it saddens me that we're, we're, we're in such of a, hey, nothing matters society that we want to legalize drug use with marijuana in Ohio. So it's like, what's wrong with us? But if, if my settled tendency is that, then I'm in danger of I'm, I'm not who I think I am and I may not be going to heaven. If I struggle, I'm probably okay. Explain it this way. Some people want to know, well, Pastor Stan, can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I do this and still go to heaven? Can I do this? And, can, I, can I get this close and still go to heaven? And I wish I had enough courage to go over like this and that, but I'm not going to go that far. But how close can I get and still go to heaven? Chances are, if that's you, you may not be going there anyway. <laughs> You're married. Well, honey, how, like, how much can I flirt before you won't take it anymore? How unfaithful can I be to God before he kicks me out? What kind of attitude is that? Instead of... How much can I possibly be like Jesus and imitate him and be a genuine replica of the original? You see the heart difference there? See, hopefully, when we wordsmith this and prayed about this value, we're like, you know what? A Christian, the longer I serve him, you know, there used to be a hymn, the longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. It should be the longer I serve him, the sweeter I grow. The longer I'm with Jesus and the more I hang around him and I try to emulate him and imitate him, I should be looking more like him, sounding more, acting more, behaving more like him. There's meant to be a transformation process. So I'll ask you a quick question. You don't have to answer it out loud. But if you have the struggle between who I am, who I was, and who I'm becoming. If you have that tension and that struggle, that temptation, that, like Paul, the thing I want to do, I don't do, the thing I don't want to do, I do, wretched man that I am. If you have the struggle, chances are you're okay. It's when there's no struggle. It's when there's, eh. it's when I have that, that settled tendency to act in a certain way, and that's just me, and I'm only human. And I'm only human, by the way, is not in this book. But if I have the tension, okay, not who I was, not who I'm going to be, then I'm probably at that right place in struggling to be like Christ. Because behavior matters. And change, though, to become like Christ begins on the inside. I don't preach loads of behaviors. Do this, don't do that, do this, don't. I'm not going to give you 40 things you should do this week or behaviors you should imitate because I believe that, that it happens from the inside out. And if you get the heart right and we understand behavior matters, then the behaviors will follow. So let's look at Philippians chapter 2. 
Philippians chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any, any consolation of love, Paul is like almost begging with him. If there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind. Us. United in spirit. Us. Intent on one purpose. Us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Ooh, that comes natural, doesn't it? But with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. I remember I was uh, new in ministry in Akron when I met Joyce, and I was the youth pastor. I also led a Bible study for singles, and I was leading a Bible study on this passage, and a woman came up to me afterwards angry. She said, I'm angry you even mentioned that verse. Why? Because I've spent thousands of dollars, and I can't tell you how many hours of time I've spent with Christian counselors because I've got so much damage and dysfunction in my life. I have such a horrible self-image. I'm finally getting to where I sort of feel good about myself. And then you say, I'm supposed to regard others as more important than myself. She said, which is it? I said, well, if you add the next verse, don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also the interests of others. It kind of balances out. Oh, Okay. Have this attitude in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. Listen to his attitude. Although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, to be held on to. But he emptied himself. Taking the form of a bondservant, that's a voluntary slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me stop there for a second. When we get to heaven, I think we have a few aha moments that just take our breath away, leave us speechless. I believe one of them may very well be when we get there and we realize I had no idea how fallen the planet was. Because we grew up here. How perfect heaven is. Second thing that would hit us is, I can't believe that Jesus, before I get there, think of the worst place in the world. No sanitation, disease, infection, bacteria, crime, least the, the, the most horrible place in the world that you would hate to live. If somebody said, you are going to go live there now, You'd, you would weep on your way there. That is a parallel to Jesus emptying himself and coming to the planet. And I think that when we realize that, we will go, I can't believe heaven. I can't believe earth. And I am dumbfounded that you emptied yourself to go there and be us. For this reason, though, for that humility, for that emptying, God also exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth, under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Paul is, Paul is referencing something here that puts a sense of urgency in us. He's referencing when we get to the great white throne judgment. Now, let me just give you a fast through the Bible orientation. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. That's the presuppositions of the Bible. And then in the beginning, God created. Boom. 
And you'll see in one and two, the paradise God created. And in chapter three, man, Adam and Eve chose sin, their own will, not God's will. That's the core of sin. And with their sin opened the floodgates on creation and death and sin and heartache and suffering and injustice and all that are a part of our lives now because sin entered through Adam and Eve. You go through the rest of the Bible from Genesis through Malachi in the Old Testament and Matthew through Revelation in the New Testament. It is God's plan of redemption and the solution God has for the fallen planet in Genesis is a redo, a do-over, a new heaven and a new earth that doesn't come until the last two chapters of the Bible. It's spoken of centuries before the New Testament even in, in Isaiah. It's spoken of throughout the New Testament is looking forward to the fact that someday God will banish all evil and we will spend eternity with him in a new heaven and a new earth. Just before that happens in chapter 21 and 22 is chapter 20 where he brings human history to a close and it is phenomenal and wonderful or it is horrific and terrible, but for all it is perfectly just. It's the great white throne judgment. Read about it in Revelation chapter 20. And at that point, we will all stand before the judgment seat of the, the great white throne. The Bible says the dead and the small, all of us will bow. And that's where Paul says every knee will confess, or every tongue will confess, every knee bow that Jesus Christ is Lord. Those of us who have trusted Christ in this life, they make a note of that in something called the Lamb's Book of Life. And the Bible says if your name is in the Lamb's Book of Life, you're going to go from the Great White Throne Judgment to a new heaven and new earth forever. If, you, if your name is not in that Book of Life, if you choose to live without Christ in this life, you will be without Him in the next and you'll spend eternity in hell. So after that Great White Throne, it's heaven or hell. And so there is a sense of urgency for us to be like Jesus. That change that begins on the inside is not just so... I'm a nice person. No, Jesus, when he came to the planet, he started his earthly ministry. He was around 30 years old. He was crucified around 33. And when he left the planet, after he was crucified, buried, resurrected, ascended into heaven, just before he left, he said, I'm going to pass my mission on to you. I want you to complete it. What's our mission? To go into all the world and make disciples. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit. He said, and if you're on that mission, I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the mission we have. And when we look at what Christ called us to, we couple that with a promise that Jesus made in, in the Gospel of John at the Last Supper. In chapter 14, he can read the room. They are troubled. Something's not right. They don't have a sense yet that he's going to be dead like less than, what, 30 hours from then. But they know something isn't right. And so Jesus says to them in that chapter, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He said, in my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it weren't so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, there you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to myself. At the Last Supper, Jesus made a promise he hasn't fulfilled yet, and that is I'm coming back. So for 2,000 years, Christians have waited for Christ to keep his promise to come back. And you might say, that's a long time to wait for a promise. I don't know if he's going to keep it. Well, that's only if you don't understand Scripture. God's a promise-making and promise-keeping God. 
I go back to Genesis chapter 3, all right, after Adam and Eve ruined the, the creation with their sin, God made a promise to them. And what happened was there was a curse that came with their sin. And as he spoke to the serpent, symbolic of Satan, he says to Satan that there is going to be the seed of woman, a descendant through humans, that someday you are going to bruise his heel, but he's going to bruise your head. If you have a choice between getting hit in the heel, hit in the head, how many of you would choose a hit in the heel? Would anybody choose a hit in the head? Go to the, 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 temp, the, the, the Passion of the Christ. And in the very first scene, Jesus is in the garden. And you see this snake slithering through the garden. And what do you see? You see incredible symbolism. Jesus' sandal stomps the snake to death. A, bl a death blow. It is that verse personified because what God is saying through the seed of a woman, and that's when you get to Matthew chapter one and that chapter everybody skips over the doing devotions because it's so-and-so begets so-and-so begets so-and-so, right? It's the family tree of Jesus. It's significant. He's showing that from Adam through Abraham to Jesus, from the seed of a woman came one, Jesus, who deals a death blow to Satan, all right, on the cross, and now we're victorious, so if God kept that promise from about 4,000 years before Christ, and then he kept the promise, you go back to uh, Abraham, about 2,000 years before Christ, and he promised him uh, more, that he'd have the promised land. And then when you look at the, the, the prophets, who for seven centuries and more prophesied that Jesus will be born in Bethlehem, a virgin will give a, have a child, all right? A little time in Bethlehem, Micah, what, 500 B.C.? Five to seven years before it happens, God kept the promise. 4,000 years before it happened, God kept the promise. And those are promises already fulfilled. So the fact that it's 2,000 years and Jesus hasn't come back yet, I got no worries. He's a promise-making, promise-keeping God. And he will come back. And so if he's coming back, and he has given me the charge and you the charge. Reach as many people as you can to come to know me so they can be in heaven with us. Then there is a sense of urgency about reaching out to other people. The clock is ticking. It's not just, I think I'll be more like Jesus today. No, I'm going to be like Jesus today because other people need to see Christ somewhere. They need to see Christ in me to ask the question, what about how can and will you? And as a pastor, I feel a sense of responsibility as well for the flock, if you will, to make sure that you're tracking with this book and Jesus' promise. Because when Jesus promised he was coming back, his disciples got a little edgy. Well, Lord, can you give us some signs of, like, how do we know when it's getting close to your return? Matthew 24, look it up. And he said, well, these things are going to happen. And, and he, he told them things that sound like what I've seen lately. Last point of the message, CNN, Fox, ABC, CBS, NBC, wherever you get your news, should create urgency to become like Christ and introduce people to him. Why? Because the time is getting short for you to look like Jesus, and the time is short for your friends, neighbors, relatives, co-workers, acquaintances, strangers. It, the time is getting short for them to decide to follow Jesus. You've seen headlines like this. Uh, we did this Wednesday night, so I apologize. About 200 of you here for Wednesday night. Um, but China's response to Israel-Hamas conflict reflects its long-standing support for Palestine. That is, as I say, in the ballpark. Next one. Israel fends off aggression at Lebanon border as it prepares to invade Gaza. That's biblically significant. Next one. This one is hugely significant. 
Iran warns time is up, an ominous message to Israel as concerns mount of a World War III. And then the last one, we can go on and on. Russia, whew, is this significant, played both Israel and Hamas. Here's why Putin has picked the side of the terrorists. Now, tell your neighbor, he's no prophecy expert. Just tell him, he's no prophecy expert. I'm just telling you what I know. But I feel obligated to study this and be able to at least tell you enough to know if it's in the ballpark or not. That's all in the ballpark. Um, I'm not going to have the time to go into it. I did Wednesday night. Let's toss some verses up on the screen. You look them up. Take, get your phone out and just take a screenshot. There's something else you're going to take a screenshot of. Everybody, get your phone out. Hurry up. Just do it. Get it for, take it for a friend. All right? There's this one and one more you're going to want to take a picture of. And then go do some study. I had a conversation with a friend last week and he was pushing back on, yeah, but why Israel? What's the big deal with Israel? Everybody makes Israel. I'm like, well, among other things, Jesus is the one who said, when it comes to end times, pay attention to Israel. Jesus put Israel at the center, at the focal point of our attention theologically. And in Matthew 24, he calls Israel the fig tree. Symbolically, that's what they're represented by. And he said, when you see the fig tree blossom, like become a nation in 1948, watch that. Genesis 12. You can, you can, by the way, you can go online to our On Demand last, last Wednesday and you could see my brief teaching on this or all summer long I did this. Genesis 12, another promise. God promised to Abraham about 2000 BC-ish that I'm going to make you a great nation and that became the nation of Israel. I'm going to give you a land as far as you can see, north, south, east, west. That's the nation of, of Israel, the land. And through your descendants, all the world will be blessed. Well, through the descendants of Abraham, if you, if you read Matthew chapter 1, that's Jesus. So Israel was given to the Jews like 4,000 years ago, 4,100 years ago. So if people want to dispute that, you've got to go back a long way to their property rights from God. And then Psalm 83, among other things, Psalm 83 says, the enemies of Israel say, let us wipe them out as a nation. Have you heard the Ayatollah of Iran and his stated purpose is to wipe Israel out as a nation off the face of the earth. And then in Ezekiel 38 and 39, Ezekiel says of that passage, of that narrative, this is about the last years and the last days. Read it. So it's end times. In chapter 38, verse 12, Israel is referred to as the center of the world. You ever wonder why a nation the size of New Jersey is always getting attention in the news? Because God says that's the center of the world because I'm going to use that nation to accomplish my will worldwide. And then in Ezekiel 5, 5, it says Jerusalem is the center of the nations. So I'm not going to reteach Wednesday night and you can read it for yourself, but there is theologians believe coming a war that's an end times kind of war where it'll appear Israel's going to be obliterated by a group of allies. And that war will go horrendously bad. It'll look like Israel's going to be, lose and be defeated. There'll be some kind of natural disaster, maybe an earthquake, it says, and then fire and brimstone. Is that rockets? Is that, I don't know. But the tide's going to turn. Israel will, will be victorious. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the thing, another screenshot in just a moment. Ezekiel lists the nations that are going to align themselves against Israel. Before we put up on the slide, let me read them for you because these are skipped past in devotions, just get through Ezekiel kind of reading. He mentions Magog, Rosh, Meshech, Tubal, Persia, Cush, Put, Gomer, Beth, Targama, uh, Sheba, and Dedan. That means nothing to me. Doesn't mean anything to you either, at least modern day. 
unless you fast forward and say, okay, what are those nations today? So here's a slide you're going to want to take a screenshot of. I think it's from Joel Rosenberg's book. The coalition against Israel. On the left, those ancient nations. The modern day version is Russia and the former Soviet republics. In fact, Moscow is in there. I think Meshach. Persia is really Iran. That's why I'm watching closely. What is it? Iran? Is they're on the edge of it? Are they going to jump in this conflict? Kush is Sudan, Ethiopia, maybe Eritrea. Put Libya, Algeria, Tunisia, one of the main exporters of terrorism. Gomer, possibly Turkey, Germany and Austria. Beth Togama, Turkey, Armenia, Syria, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, Yemen, Oman, the Gulf states. All of a sudden, whoa, those headlines make me say, whoa, is this the Ezekiel 38 war? I don't know. But if it is, I realize, wow, the time is just flying by. And I have a limited amount of time to, to get as close as I can to being like Jesus. And I have a limited amount of time to reach people in my neighborhood, in our community, that you work with, go to school with, do sports with. They need Jesus. And so we're going to close in prayer. But first, this song that just says, make it your prayer. I want more of you and less of me. Jesus, I want to be more like you.
in preparing and sharing a message, I'm pretty big on the so what. He's trying to scare us? Not at all. I'm trying to prepare you and equip you. I'm a little, it's pretty scary what you see in the world today. I'm a little less anxious when I realize, okay, but God's got this. And the very end of the book, he's really got it. There's a new heaven and a new earth waiting for me. This awareness and looking at scripture, if nothing else, is meant to take the petty out of my life. How many things do we get distracted to? How much time and energy do we spend on stuff that has no eternal significance whatsoever? We let things distract us and pull us, bend us sideways and, and take us from our mission, if you will. Well, you know what? God's got this. And he told me centuries before, he told all of us, and he didn't say, when these things begin to happen, freak out. No, lift up your head, your redemption is drawing nigh. And whatever you can do to look like me so other people are drawn to me, do it. I was often quoted my friend Jimmy Mann that we were talking about the state society's in. I can't believe that we're even voting on whether we should legalize marijuana. Of course we shouldn't. I can't, I can't possibly imagine dedicating babies that are a gift from God but voting to abort them in the womb. I can't, it's ridiculous, it's horrendous, horrendous that we would even consider abortion. But I remember Jimmy and I were having lunch once and he said, you know, we're, we're almost overwhelmed with the condition of our world. He said, we just have to remind ourselves, we're on the deck of the Titanic and our goal is to get a life check on as many people as you possibly can. And, and not to get, you know, from what I understand, there were musicians playing the violins as the, as the Titanic was going down. No. We are the ones who have the hope. We are the ones who have peace through the Spirit, through the Spirit at all times till Jesus comes back in every circumstance. And so we're, we're to be contagious. Would you bow with me in prayer? And would you take a moment if you're a believer and just thank God for His Word. Thank Him for the faithfulness of His promises. And because he's kept all those promises, we know Jesus will keep the promise someday and return. We know there is a new heaven and new earth. And so we do not have anxiety as those who have no hope. Thank him for his word and for his faithfulness. But likewise, if you're a follower of Christ, what comes to your mind that you need to repent of or let go of that you're just getting so wrapped up in petty stuff? Just give it to him. Lord, take this. I put it in your hands. I get so stressed out and anxious and messed up or I put so much of my time and effort into that and it doesn't really matter. Just surrender to him and put it in his hands. And if you're here today, you haven't asked Christ to be your savior. Friend, that's not just some get around to it option. The time is short and it matters. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. As you sit here in the quiet of this room, pray a prayer of surrender. Ask Jesus to forgive you your sins. Tell him you're sorry. Ask him to be your Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you, Jesus. Lead me from here on. And so, if you're here today and, and you'd say, yes, I want to 
As a believer, I want to stand up for Christ's sake. I want to say yes to being more like Jesus. I want more of you and less of me, Lord. I want the petty out of the way. I want the distractions to fade. And I want more of you and less of me. If that's you, or if you're here and you, and you just prayed a prayer, I need Jesus in my life. I want him to be my Lord and Savior. I want my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Either way, I want you to stand all across this place and take a stand for Jesus now more than ever that we would have more of him and less of me. And so, Lord, you see us standing here. Lord, we get anxious about things going on in this world, but you, you told your disciples, let not your heart be troubled. So we, we breathe that peace deep as well and that assurance, and we lean into your faithfulness. And we know, Lord, that the things that are in Scripture are there to reassure us God's got this. God's in control. You can be trusted. And so, Lord, ignite in us a passion to be like Jesus. More of you and less of us. And those things that don't matter, just weed those out of the garden of our soul. And help us to live life to make a difference. Help us to live life that other people in anxious times will say, where does your peace come from? We can point to you. Other people, when stress is rage, they can say, what is your joy all about? And we can tell them about Jesus. And for those who prayed a prayer of surrender moments ago, Lord, maybe for the first time, or maybe coming back to you, let today be a day of decision, a day to look back on and say, that's the day I began to follow Jesus. And it makes all the difference in my world. For us, Lord, I pray that we would be us. Strip us of the, of the solo identity. I just go to church because I get something out of it and I'm gone. No, we are gathering together as your body to make a difference, to help each other, to grow forward and to shine your light. And so we pray a blessing on Christian Life Center and from Christian Life Center in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. If you prayed that prayer to accept Christ, stop by the, the Welcome Center. We'd like to pray with you, give you some information. Also, if you want to learn how to grow, growth opportunities, serving opportunities, stop by there. God bless you. Thanks for being here. Have a great day.